Country DJs knows that I'm an outlaw They'd never come to see me in this dive Where bikers stare at cowboys Who are laughing at the hippies What's up, everybody? I'm the worst podcaster of all time. You don't have to write me. You don't have to tell me. I know. I can't remember. I think I've missed one week. I've missed one episode, right? Isn't that right? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it's pretty crappy of me to say, I'm going to be on every week and maybe sometimes even during the week now, and then I don't do it. Well, there's kind of a reason for it, and I know to some people, reasons and excuses are the same things. I might touch on it a little bit. I'm waiting for one catalyst, so whenever something happens, you will know, and I'm going to give a lot of explanations and a lot of details as to why some things maybe aren't what you expected them to be. And you won't really get that unless you've been listening to the podcast for a while. But that's not part of the intro. What is part of the intro is me. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, which, as we all know, has nothing to do with living in paradise, at least anymore. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every couple hundred days to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, some you won't, but either way, we can still be friends. Because in reality, what most people argue about is nothing more than a difference of opinions. There's no need to fight about that. And if you know me, you'll know I've got plenty of those. But that doesn't mean I dislike someone who shares the opposite. Chances are we won't agree on a lot, but that doesn't mean I don't like him as a human. Chances are, well, I'm going to just stop at that. I've got a ton of stuff to get to today. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of it. If I don't, I'll split it up and maybe record another one tomorrow. Today is Saturday, February, which is the hardest word for me to spell, 12th, 2022. And I'm also having a hard time saying 2022 and not saying 2020. And I didn't have the problem with 2021. But for some reason, 2022, I want to just say 2020. I'm not quite adjusted yet. But that's enough with the intro. Oh yeah, one more thing. There's one thing you know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. So, sit back, relax, and let me steer the ship for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. And they'd never come to see me in this dive Where bikers stare at cowboys Who are laughing at the hippies Who are praying they'll get out of here I normally don't do this, but I can't pass up this opportunity. This song is some of the most magical lyrical songwriting, in my opinion. It's all opinions, right? My favorite line is, the loudmouth in the corner is getting to me. Talking about my earrings and my hair. I guess he ain't read the signs that say I've been to prison. Someone ought to warn him before I knock him off his chair. I'm telling you, people used to be tough. Used to take pride in being tough. My long hair just can't cover up my redneck. I've won every fight I've ever fought. Hey, I don't need some turkey telling me that I ain't country and saying I ain't worth the damned old ticket that he bought. I mean, I love this guy. This is David Allen Coe talking about some turkey mad at him because he bought a ticket for a show and it ain't worth nothing. And more. I wish more people were tough, like David Allen Coe. I think it's highly funny to call people a turkey. <laughs> uh, you tell them, David. And the barmaid in the last town that we played in knew the words to every song I'd wrote. She said, Jimmy Rabbit turned around to my last album Just about the time the jukebox broke Yeah, Johnny Cash helped me get out of prison I'm sorry it's been a while. I apologize. I know you're probably sick of me apologizing for missing weeks. And I apologize for that too. But just stick with me. Got some big things in the works. 
I'm getting ready to build like an actual little miniature studio on the compound. And when that happens, I feel like I'll produce more content more frequently. We'll see. We'll see. Right now, my setup is kind of ghetto rigged. Like, I've just got some little mixer and this laptop, and I sit on these hard chairs and these table. It's just not, it's not conducive to wanting to do this a lot. So I'm thinking that I'm going to build out a little studio. May or may not start a YouTube channel, but no matter what, I'll hopefully be uploading more podcasts. That's not the big announcement. That's not the thing I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about the big thing probably for about another week. And then I'm going to talk about something. So you'll have to come back to figure out what it is. That's what we call a teaser in the industry. Speaking of industry, isn't it funny how Trump says industry instead of industry? He has a couple other words that he says funnily like that too. Before we go any farther, I would like to dedicate this show to my Aunt Ruth. Aunt Ruth passed away yesterday at the seasoned age of 99. And I was fortunate enough to get to know her very, very closely. Well, she was my great aunt. And she was one of my mom's best friends. She was like her second mom slash sister. And so because of that, I got to know her really well. And so for me, she was kind of like a second grandmother. And so she was been battling a sickness and she finally passed away. And as sad as it is to see them go, we know that it has to happen. But when someone goes and they're, they're knocking on the door of 100, I kind of feel a sense of joy, a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment for them, you know, their behalf. And so what I want to do is just dedicate this whole show to aunt Ruth. She was an amazing woman. She raised two kids and a majority of a grandkid who's Melanie, and uh, she's, I guess, my second or third cousin, but we're really close, and her husband, Kale, is my business partner at the brewery. So it's a close-knit family. We're not Italian. We're Texan. We kind of act like Italians. So, Aunt Ruth, this show's for you. Now I'm going to talk about a different kind of loss. These are the types of loss that you can laugh at. And you might be asking yourself, what kind of person laughs at losses of any kind? You shouldn't be laughing at losses. You should be embarrassed or motivated to go improve whatever it is you lost or redefine a system or whatnot. But I reached a benchmark in my life and possibly in one of the areas of my life. Whenever I realized I could laugh at my losses and my investments. And that's because I don't believe losses are permanent. I believe losses are temporary because if you invest properly, you'll regain them and then more. And I know it sounds like I'm a de degenerate gambler. I kind of am. I, I definitely have the degenerate gambler gene. So if you've never listened to the podcast when I was holed up in Tennessee for a couple weeks playing this stupid game called Bust a Bit, you should check that out. You'll find it pretty funny, I think. It's, it, it's, I, teeter, I teeter on the edge of being a full-time gambler. It didn't work out for me, but I thought it might there for a second. So I, I realized, though, that once, you know, you put your money in a stock portfolio and you see it go down and go down and go down and go down, once you can laugh at that and you don't feel emotional about it and it kind of makes you happy because you know you can buy more at a lower price, I feel like that is a, that is a milestone in someone's investment career. I guess I don't want to call it career, but... And someone's investment growth. And I say all that because the stock market has been tanking. I'm sure you've all been made well aware that it's kind of, uh, it's nosediving right now. And so we kind of all saw this coming. And nothing catastrophic has happened yet. But I think we're on the edge of a pretty big recession. So I did the ultimate cardinal sin <laughs> of stock investing. I sold every single one of my stocks about three or four weeks ago. And honestly, it's been a great move so far. However, I'll be the first to admit that it's not over until you buy back in. So we'll see how it goes. Lots of people are of the mindset that you just set it and forget it. You put your money in the stock market and you wait. And I usually am that way. But when you see all the signs of something big happening and you 
can get out of the market and then let the prices collapse and then get back in, you saved out on a bunch of losses. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'll keep you posted and let you know how it works out. But it's definitely something I've been laughing about lately. Because it's just funny. When you think the market just can't go any more down and down and down and down and down and down, it just keeps going. You know, we have these imaginary floors in our mind of, okay, it's got to stop. It's down 25%. It's got to stop now, and it just keeps going. We'll see how it goes. Wish me luck. While we're on the topic of luck, I want to touch on some things. And you might be sick of this, but that's okay. Whenever COVID first hit, I was talking to somebody, and I said, man, this this thing's got me nervous. And they said, what? You're nervous? Like you're scared about getting sick or dying? And I said, no, no, not in the slightest. The thing that had me terrified was what we were about to do to our supply chains and our economy. And I typically don't do this, but I'm going to say it. I told you so. I told you. I told you. So what's happened? Well, it's, it's kind of complicated to go through all of it. So I'm going to touch on a little bit maybe in the next week or two. But... Everyone's been hearing the the buzzword supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. And I don't know if a lot of people really understand what they are, how they work, how they could screw things up so bad. So I'm going to break it down. I've got like a simple little example that I've been thinking about. And for those of you that haven't experienced this, kudos to you. It's only a matter of time before you do. So supply chain. What is a supply chain? How does it work? How has COVID messed it all up? Okay, so the first thing we need to address is that it wasn't COVID that messed up the supply chain. It was our reaction to COVID. So humans are the ones who made the rules of around COVID that have, have affected our supply chain. So what's a supply chain? A supply chain is, and I know a lot of you people know this, but I'm going to just break it down because some people may not. Supply chain are all the steps or pieces of a puzzle that have to happen before the consumer gets the product. And I don't think a lot of people understand how many people actually touch something before the consumer gets it. So let's just take, for example, a painter. And so let's say we have the economy take a downturn. I know a lot of people have never been through a down economy, but what happens is unemployment goes up, interest rates go up, People lose their jobs. People get laid off. Businesses stop spending money because it costs more to borrow. Consumers stop spending money because they don't have as much to spend or they're close to losing their job. So it's a bad situation for everyone. No one should ever have to go through a recession, but we're about to. So get ready. So supply chains. Take, for example, the painter. This guy comes out to wherever you need him to come with his paint and his brush and his sandpaper, and all the things that he needs to do the job. So think about all those things, and let's just pick one of them. Let's just say the the paintbrush, okay? So the painter needs paintbrushes to do his job. Well, he doesn't just buy one paintbrush and it lasts forever. He's got to buy paintbrushes all the time, probably every other day or so. Depends on how, how much his guys lose them. But So, so you got to have paintbrushes. Well, how does a paintbrush come about? First of all, you got to have a wooden handle. So that wood has got to be in a tree that's grown. It's got to be cut down and then dried and then milled and shaped into a handle. I don't know how many times it trades hands between when it's a log and when it's a handle. But if I had to guess, I'd say two or three times. So we've got this wooden handle, but it doesn't do us one bit of good without bristles. So the bristles that go in a paintbrush, I don't. Some of them are synthetic. Let's just say we're going to go with the synthetic ones. Some of them are horsehair, boar's hair, whatever. But we're going to go with the, the synthetic ones. So the synthetic bristles on a paintbrush are made of nylon. Nylon's got to get made somewhere. At which point, the paintbrush maker buys the nylon bristles, buys the metal band, and connects them to the wooden-handled brush. So you might think, oh, that's only three components. Yeah, but all those three components come through a huge chain so the 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 nylon bristles those have to get made they have to get dyed they have to get cut they have to get shipped they got to be put in a plastic package so now the the paintbrush manufacturer or the the person who buys 
the inputs, puts a paintbrush together and sells the finished product, he's relying on five or six people to make sure that they all get him the pieces that he needs to put the paintbrush together. Well, each one of those guys has also got a group of guys, and each one of those guys also has a group of guys. Think about the paint. Got to have a paint bucket. That's metal. That comes from one guy. Got to have the label on the paint. That's paper. It's got to come from one guy who makes the paper. Another guy's got to print the paper. The guy who prints the paper has got to buy the paper from somewhere and buy the ink from somewhere else. He's got to have parts for his computer. The guy who sells the printer, the computer, has got to have chips for the computer. And so you can see that this is just a never-ending never-ending chain of things that have to trade hands for things to happen. And so if you think of it like a big giant, like a train track, that's kind of like a oval-shaped or round, and everything's moving at exactly the same time. All the pieces are working together. And then all of a sudden you come in and you stop the train or you block the track and everything just piles up on each other. So that happens. So what, what caused that to happen? Well, people got sick and they couldn't go to work. Yep, some of them did. Some of them did. The biggest problem that we have, the biggest mistake that we made was telling people that were healthy to stay home. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have nearly the issues that we're having. Of course, that's just my opinion. could be all anecdotal. Maybe I have no clue what I'm talking about. But my opinion is that whenever we... Whenever we stopped production of things because we were scared that people might get this virus, that's when things went wrong. And then people actually started getting sick. So we had the first wave, and not everyone got it. And we had the next wave of Delta where certain people got a little bit more, more, more transmissions. And then with each wave or variant, it became less severe and more transmissible. And I, didn't, I understand that we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how it was going to go. But we did have statistics as we were entering this thing. And we were watching people, and we refused to use that data to make decisions. The only number people looked at, total number of deaths, which is an absolutely useless number. But we're not going to talk about that right now. So back to the supply chain. So you've got a group of people who started getting sick. Now, this was on top of the issues that we were already having for the supply chain. Because remember, the guy who makes paintbrushes may call up the bristle provider and say, hey, man, I need four tons of bristles. I got a new batch of brushes that are about to go out. And the bristle seller is like, dude, I don't have any guys. My guys are all sick. No one's here. We can't make them. Okay, well, I guess I'll just have to wait. And then he waits and he waits and he waits. And then the bristle guy comes back and he says, hey, man, we're, we're good to go. I'm still having some problems getting this and this in, but I have enough to meet your order. And the paintbrush guy is like, well, man, I can't take them right now. I don't have anyone in a warehouse. Shipping and receiving's messed up. All my guys are sick. The guys that aren't sick are still staying at home because they've been told to. So we don't need that order right now. The bristle guy goes around and he finds someone else to buy them and he sells them. Three or four weeks later, his original paintbrush manufacturer calls him up and says, hey, man, my guys are all back. Our warehouse is up and running. We're ready to go. The bristle maker says, dude, we can't find it. We can't find what we need. All the nylon's gone. Because this happens all the way across the whole cycle between every single transaction. And that has taken, it's taken us 100 years to build up this system where things just move. And we know about what the orders that we're going to fill. And we... We manage it accordingly, and we kind of have a system in place. And when that whole thing gets interrupted, you've got to reset. You've got to pick up all the train cars and put them back on the track. And then when you're done with that, you've got this huge, giant, long train that you've got to get moving again. And if you know anything about trains, the hardest part about them is to get them from still to moving. It takes tons and tons of energy. So this is no different. I, I kind of think of it like a big... Like a big accordion, like you stretch it out and then the, and then the back comes trailing up and then it crunches up together and then it stretches out again. And so until you have everything moving together, when the right piece is moving at the same speed as the left piece of the accordion, that's when balance comes back into play. So we have that. That is the supply chain issue. I just finished reading a book called The New Great Depression or The New, the New Depression, something like that. 
it was written at the end of 2020 by uh I think it was an economist and he was able to to look at everything that was happening and he predicted what was going to happen in 2021 and 2022. And he's got a couple things a little bit off on 2021, but a lot of stuff he's got right. There's a lot of things that he's nailed. And and what there's not going to be, what you're not going to have, you're not going to have books that talk about how well the the vaccination saved us and how efficiently drug companies got it out. There might be a few niche books here and there, but I think if we're all being honest, we can look back and we can say all of that for that. And now it's been my point this whole time. If you look back at the Spanish flu, there's hardly any mentions of it in any print, in any books, anywhere. They didn't talk about it because they were more focused on living life and making sure their chores got done and fulfilling their obligations. They didn't immediately stop and say, we need the government to help us because um, we're scared of everything and, and anything just makes us terrified and people are dying. There was no books about that. There was no mention of it. I think the Spanish flu killed, I don't know, I don't like lying on here, but like way more people. Here, let's do this together. Hey Siri, how many people died from the Spanish flu? The answer I found is 50 million. 50. Five zero. 50 millones personas died from the Spanish flu. 50 million. Listen, we've had 800,000. And in terms of percentages, I mean, it doesn't even come close. I, I think that was probably like half the world's population back then. No writing of it. No stories. No whining. No complaining. Now, do I think that we should just go on about life as normal? No, no. But I just want to use that to show people that the reason they didn't do that is because they knew what would happen. They knew it. And I did too. And I said it. And I was right. And here we are, about to enter a Great Depression Part 2. That's just my opinion. No reason you shouldn't prepare for it. You know, there's a group of people out there that think that money is bad. And those people typically are the ones that don't have money. I'm just being real. I'm just keeping it 100, as they say. And the types of people who say money is bad, most of which I don't really believe, I believe that they say that just because they're sour, that they don't have any. Because the type of people who goes, money's not important to me, I don't even need money. They have a huge long list of things they want to do. They want to go to places. They want to see the things. They want to experience the foods. But they're not willing to work for it. So I don't know. I just had a note that said money's not so bad. I've been broke i've been not broke and believe me not broke is better i think it's all about what you do with money and whether or not you let it control you or you control your money the problem that i'm seeing is that most people don't know how to control their money and i know i've talked about it before i know you're sick of hearing me talk about it the biggest thing you can do is learn to invest as long as you as long as long it's a hard job over here as young as you possibly can and let it ride moral of the story is just focus on work and yourself don't worry about these other people why are we worried about what some podcaster says on his podcast and whether or not we can try to cancel him or or get him decredited i mean just just do you that don't worry about being a tattletale you know that's what these people are they're tattletales they want everyone to know how bad they feel about something and how grumpy it makes them and how mad they feel. And it's their fault. And always pointing the finger at somebody. Just worry about yourself and your own life and your own decisions and your family because chances are I could pick apart your life and find plenty of areas for these people to improve. But what do they do? They just sit around and criticize people. I mean, we've got to stop. We've got to stop with these people who get off on making rules that they, they think that making laws should be something that should happen as frequently as possible. And I'm figuring out the kinds of people who think that we need more laws and more regulations are the kind of people that cannot acquire power unless it's given to them. They cannot earn it. People don't give it to them. They've got to just take it. And their, mind, their literal mindset is, all these people out there 
All you normal people that work at the plant and you work in construction and you fix tires and you work on cars, you people are too stupid to make your own decisions. But don't worry. You have us, the educators and the thought leaders of the country, to make your decisions for you. It's funny. I was watching a documentary about what life was like. Did I talk about this? I may have already talked about this. I don't know. I was watching a documentary about what life was like in the 13, 1400s. And so they had these people that were dressed up in costume. It was super cheesy. It was on YouTube. But I think they had a pretty good perspective on what life was like. Because I'm most interested in just what the day-to-day life is like. I don't, I don't really care about all the riches the kings had. And I mean... You know, I want to know what the normal life was like for the normal guy. And to me, that's fascinating today all over the world, no matter where you go. But either way, so going back to this documentary, they interviewed the king and queen, who were, they were clearly acting, but they were playing the part. And they were asking them about the peasants in the field. And the king and the queen were asked, do you feel like guilty that the peasants are out there working and you're in here sitting on your throne drinking wine? And they're, they kind of looked at each other with this confusion. What? Why would they... Why would we feel guilty? We're the chosen ones. God, God chose us to lead this country. And then everything here is ours. And so they're just lucky that we're letting them use it to farm for themselves. Yeah, sure, they have to farm for us too, but that's a fair trade-off. And it's just like, there are people out there in politics right now that that's how they think. They're probably going to use some different words because we're not in the 1300s, but they honestly think that they're more equipped to make the decisions for the masses of people than each individual is equipped to make the decisions for themselves. And that is the bare bones reason. That is why people left. They left the UK. They decided to secede. And they said, we're going to be our own country. We're willing to fight until our death to not have a king reign us. We want to own our own property. We want to decide whether or not we pay taxes to someone. That should be up to us. And you see, like I mentioned, there's a group of people who who think that it would be better to go back to that method. Now, they haven't come to terms with it. They would say, well, no, no, I don't want a monarchy. I don't want a single rule. But all the policy that they advocate for, all the things, the rules that they push, say that. They, they say that, no, you do. You want an, an elite class of people who can make decisions for the rest of the country. That's really what you want. And I I completely understand that lots of people aren't equipped to make big decisions. And I get that. But I don't think the solution is to take all the power away from them and say, no, 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 no. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. I care about people. You don't. That's so, so, so silly. I'll tell you who I'm with. I hate to say it. Actually, I don't. I'm proud to say it. I am with the Canadian truckers. I am with them 100%. As long as they're not destroying property, as long as they don't block the flow of traffic, which I know that they're kind of starting to do that, and I hope that they provide like at least one lane to get by because I don't think it's cool to stop commerce. I've said it before. Don't stop commerce. Don't destroy things. Don't hurt people. But other than that, I'm with them. I support them. I support them protesting a movement that they disagree with. And I would have supported the Black Lives Matter riots if they weren't riots, if they were peaceful protests, without buildings burning in the background, without cars getting flipped over, without guns going off. I would support I would support their right to do that. I would say they should not be stopped. Whether or not I agree with their sentiment, we'll talk about that later. So I'm with the Canadian truckers, as long as they don't tear nothing up. But Trudeau is a weak, weak, weak little weenie man. I mean, that dude, I bet you, well, I'm just going to say it. I bet he drinks soy milk. I bet he drinks soy milk. There, I said it. I said it. And I don't understand why nobody has, you know, this all boils down to one topic, whether or not the vaccine works. And people will say, but the vaccine can keep them going in the hospital if you get the COVID. Uh, okay, maybe so. But if it doesn't keep you from getting it, and it doesn't keep you from transmitting it, that means we will have unvaccinated people 
passing it back and forth to each other and giving it to people who are vaccinated, but it won't hurt them as bad. Because remember, even if you're vaccinated, you can still get it, transmit it, receive it. That has not been stopped. This whole thing is not about, it's not about safety. It's not about community guidelines. It's, it is about power. It is about control. It's a religion. People feel emotional about it. There's no, there is no science. Like this whole trust the science thing is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous because now they're saying, oh, the science has changed. <laughs> we just changed science midstream. No, no. You people are finally admitting that we have to have an end to this. We have to. There's no data that warrants these mandates. And what really, really kills me the most is that you have a group of people who think that if you express the opposing viewpoint of wear the mask, get the vaccine, stay home, if you express an opposing viewpoint or a possible counterpoint to that, then you're spreading misinformation. You're spreading misinformation no longer allowed to express your opinion because what might happen? Oh, well, there's lots of really stupid people out there and we can't have stupid people talking to the stupid people because then they could all make stupid decisions. And what is that stupid decision? They may get unvaccinated and they may die. And it's just the notion that we're controlling people for, for, from making their own bad decisions that only affects themselves. We have to look up and see this. We have to forget about the the Tyvek suits and the piles of bodies and the, the back-ordered gravestones because it never happened. Well, sure it did. There was people running around in Tyvek suits. But it never got as bad as what everyone thought. And I mentioned before that I long for the day when the people who used to bark orders at you to wear a mask are now saying we should stop wearing the mask. Everyone has their own deadline. Everyone has their own threshold. Why not let everyone operate by their own threshold? But you know what? We're, we're, we're reaching a turning point. We'll never go back. We will never go back to simplicity, negotiations, and give and take. It will forevermore be fight tooth and nail and start gouging eyes when you need to. You know what happened to the first person in China? who found the virus was a doctor and he was treating patients and he noticed a lot of them had these weird symptoms. And so he put out a statement that said, Hey, I've, I've, I'm starting to see a couple of patients that have this virus that I've never seen before. I would advise people to wear a mask and gloves, at least until we can figure out what, what things this was in China. You know what they did? The Chinese government, they went and wrangled this guy. They put him in captivity until he died from COVID. He had the COVID. He died. They didn't know how to treat it. And they, they said, you are no longer allowed to be out there spreading misinformation. <laughs> and he was trying to tell people to put a mask on. Think about how much stuff we didn't know. We didn't know anything about the virus. So when you don't know something, is it better to overreact or underreact? Because I feel like those were the two paths that we had. And my solution is let's just wait. Let's not do anything until we see what's going to happen and we see some results. And you have these people, we had to do something. No, you don't have to do something. You can be patient. You can tell people there's a virus going around. If you feel like you need to stay at home, stay at home. Talk to your boss. Talk to your doctor. We need, we need to see how this is going to happen. We need to, before we start making laws and rules and mandates, let's just see where it goes. Okay. Listen, hey, I'm trying not to COVID rant anymore. We're trying to get over this thing. I know everyone's tired of hearing about it. But I, my, my thoughts about COVID spill over. And they, and they have shown me that this behavior is not COVID related. The way that these people are behaving is not related to getting a shot to save the world. And so that's why it's hard for me to let go of it. Because I see these signs and people... And I see their behavior and it just, it looks just like COVID and it's never going to change. There will always be this group of people. There will always be people who are so money hungry for power that they're so desperate to be in charge and that they need to be the one making the rules that they will be willing to forego family time, 
time with their grandkids, retirement, traveling, so that they can get more of it, get more power, more control, and more money. Don't get me wrong. I like money, too. I just hope that by the time I'm 60 or 65, I won't have the need for money. And I, I, I will not have, I can tell you right now, I will never have this desire for power that these weak, weak, weak people have. The people like Nancy Pelosi, the people like Kamala Harris, the people like Joe Biden, they just, they long for power. You can see it. You can see it in how they act and how they talk and what they do and what they say. It's just disgusting. It's embarrassing. It really, really is embarrassing to see other humans so desperate for power. It's like the little child in the playground who just wants to be the bossy boss of everyone. That's what they're like. Okay, back to money. Money, 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 money. I was thinking the other day about cryptocurrency. Imagine that, right? But I thought, okay, how do I know? How do I know that this is going to take off? How do I know that there will be a future in this? What what leads me to believe that? And it really just boiled down to one very, very simple thing. <laughs> I walked into the bank. I needed to send a wire transfer for, for business reasons. And they're like, mm, yeah, no, it's a $20 charge. And I was like, okay. Like, I know, I know there's a fee for a wire transfer. But in my head, I thought, why? Why does it cost $20 to send a couple thousand dollars from one bank to another? When I can ship a pile of bricks, I mean, I don't know what it costs to send a brick to Maine, but I bet you I can do it faster and cheaper than what it costs to move money between banks. And if that doesn't tell you that we need a full money makeover, then, then nothing will. Because it's like the last piece of the puzzle to technology. And, and that $20 that, that I spent, $20 to move $2,700. And so that $20 gets scraped a little bit by this guy, scraped a little bit by that guy. There's all these middlemen. Most of them don't provide any service. They're just a regulation that was put in place in the name of customer safety. And so they're getting paid. And so they don't want to see their deal end. And they're going to push back against crypto as hard as they possibly can. I asked the girl working at the uh, bank, the teller, I said, this is why we need crypto. I said, $20. I said, I can get, I just got a bag of dog food shipped to my house for free. She just kind of, <laughs> I said, this is why we need crypto. She's like, oh, it's going to be a long time. <laughs> I was just, I go, oh yeah, how long, how long do you think it'll be? Oh, a hundred years maybe. And I go, really? I go, why does it cost $20 to, for a wire transfer? I don't know. It's just always what it's cost. And I go, but I could send Bitcoin to, I could send a billion Bitcoin to China for free. And she's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder why these people, you know, these people that say things that, that don't know the background, they don't understand, they're, they've just heard it somewhere. They've heard someone say it and they're repeating it. This is what a lot of people do. I'm beginning to figure out most people don't understand the background. They don't know what goes into things. Does that make me any better? No, absolutely not. There's all kinds of things that I don't know about. I guess the difference is I don't pretend to. I don't try to argue with someone. If I went to some website where people were talking about shearing sheep, I would shut up. I would just listen to what they're saying. But the internet doesn't distinguish. It doesn't decipher who's who. Should, though. Should. So that's why money needs a total makeover. The next time you're talking to your colleagues about how Bitcoin is good, use the shipping example. It's a good one. Because remember, technology is really just cutting out the middleman. Now, sure, we have breakthroughs and stuff like that. But when you see advancements in things like the gig economy, the ability for people to get an Uber or stay at an Airbnb, create YouTube videos, Use the app Turo, the, the, which is the car rental. You rent cars from individuals. It's nothing more. Technology is nothing more than cutting out those middlemen. And and we're on the brink of this. We're going to see more and more and more of this. So you can think of all the things that are controlled by intermediary groups. You know, when you when you buy a home, you got to pay an attorney to look at the contract. You got to pay the title fee. You got to pay this. You got to pay the that. And really, they're not adding value. They're just, they're just put in place and they've never been taken away. 
So think about all the things in your life that you could cut out the middleman, figure out how to get in on it. Speaking of getting in, man, I took a tumble the other day. I guess it was yesterday, Friday. You know, I'm a grown-ass man. I don't fall down too much. <laughs> I don't have health insurance. I don't be doing things that might involve falling. <laughs> so I've been taking Bentley to the vet twice a week to get a shot that's supposed to help her little joints. She's old, got arthritis, her joints hurt her. They give her a shot of the stuff called Adequan twice a week. And so I grab her out of the back seat. I don't let her jump out. She's way too old. She would collapse. So I pick her up, scoop her up where her legs are dangling down. I'm cradling her with my arms. And I go to walk to set her up on the tailgate for the tech to come out and give her the shot because that's just how I roll. And I didn't see in front of me because I was holding a dog out in front of me, a car stop, one of those curbs that your tires hit to in a parking spot. And I stepped on, I hit that with my foot. And so since my hands were occupied with her, I went to fall forward and I couldn't raise my other foot up over it. So both feet were behind it. I was falling forward. She was in my arms <laughs> and I had to choose between, okay, I can either throw her and she would collapse. Her little legs would not have held her up. So she would have fallen, maybe hurt herself or let her fall below me and try to use my elbows to keep me up from crushing her or break the fall with my knee. And I remember all this happened like so fast, instantly in my head. I went the knee route. So all the weight of me and Bentley, boom, hit my left knee and that broke the fall. And then I kind of fell forward. <laughs> I was on the ground with my chin in the dirt, looking her in the eyes. And I feel like if she could talk, she would have said, bro, what the beep? <laughs> And I would have said, I know, I'm sorry, my bad. So she was fine, way better off than I was. I've got a, a strawberry in two places on my knee that I hadn't had. <laughs> I hadn't had something like this since I was probably 12 years old. But you know what? That's how it goes. I feel like falling keeps you young until you break your hip. Oh, and one more thing, and then I'm going to wrap it up. I decided instead of doing like an extra super duper long, I'm going to break it up into two, so... Probably won't record it until tomorrow. But uh, I wanted to talk about one more thing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sure you've heard about the whole Joe Rogan situation. I just want to express my opinion on this, and it's just my opinion. I believe no words should be off limits. I don't think that any human should tell other humans what words they can and cannot say. No matter how bad they are, no matter how ruthless no matter how tasteless and degrading and demeaning. And not only that, but I think worse than that is having words that some people are allowed to say and others are not. I do not agree with that sentiment. What happens when you have humans telling other humans what they can and cannot say? Yeah, that's called controlling someone's speech. And I realize that you're not forced to oblige but if you don't, they'll come after you. And the idea that someone will try to get you canceled or try to get whatever it is you do, try to end that because they think you're a racist. Now, do I like racists? No. Do I support racism? Of course not. Do I support the right for racist people to speak their mind? Yes. Do I support the right for people to burn the flag? I do. I support the right. If I ever see it in person, I wouldn't let it happen very easily, but I support the right to do it. I would confront them about it. I would let them know how I felt about it because it's not something that I take lightly, but that's me. That's my personal decision. I don't expect anyone else to do that. I also don't expect laws to be made to keep people from burning the flag because how would we know if 90% of the country was upset? How would we know if they didn't like the way things were going, if they weren't allowed to burn the flag? They should be allowed to burn the flag. It's an indicator of how people feel. If 99% of the people in the country were burning the flag, wouldn't that tell us something? Sure, of course it would. If 99% of the country were racist and they hated people based on skin color, obviously that's hypothetical. We would never get to that point. But if they did, it would tell us something. It would tell us we got problems. 
But if you suppress that, if you disallow or you keep people from being able to express how it is they feel because you're worried they're going to influence someone else, that's not good. It's not a good situation. We can't be worried about what could go wrong if people believe someone that has a differing opinion than us. Now, I get it. You're probably saying, well, racism isn't just uh, my opinion. It's kind of the right and wrong thing to do. Sure it is, but it's still an opinion. A racist opinion is that someone with a different color of skin is less than. That is their opinion. It's not a fact. That's for sure. And I don't know of a point in time, other than Hitler or, or those guys, where someone has really convinced a lot of people to do bad things. And I know you probably, you probably know, yeah, but what about Pol Pot? Or you have some anecdotal evidence. Sure. It's happened. What? Five, eight, 10, 20, 30, a hundred times in the course of history. Maybe it's happened a hundred times in all of humanity that we've had crazy people get in charge and do bad things. So it goes back to the, are we willing to take away the rights from the majority in order to protect them from being affected by the minority? Especially now that we have so much information out there. Whenever I hear something, whether it's commentary or journalism or whatever, before I share it or comment on it or spread it, I look it up. I want to see if it's real. I think most people do that. I know some don't. Some don't. The kind of people who blindly share things without knowing if they're true are not the kind of people that are going to lead genocide movements. I promise you that. I promise. But once again, and then I'm going to get going. I, I just got to finish this thought. Once again, the people that thrive on silencing their opponent is the same kind of people that cannot acquire power any other way by other than silencing their opponent. I don't know. I wrestle with the idea. If I was Facebook, would I silence the people who disagreed with me? I would like to think that I wouldn't. I really, truly would like to think that I would let them say whatever it is they wanted. And I don't know if we'll ever see a platform like that. I sh I'm sure we will. One day, the blockchain will probably do it. It'll pull it off like a completely autonomous social media platform that's not censored. And what will be funny is if Amazon or the government limits access to this app. It's likely that it will happen. It is likely. The First Amendment's a huge thing. We can't just say, well, you have free speech, but no. You either have free speech or you don't have free speech. Well, that was intended so that the guy... Yep, I know. I get it. I know. I know why it was there. So we either do away with it and we say that some governing body has control of speech or we leave it in there. We let people say what they want to say, even if it's preposterous. And with that, I will end the podcast. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just hit a note. You just hit the you hit the chord, you hit the thought, and it all comes together, and you just gotta end it at that. It's like it's like Tom Brady. He should have just stopped after he won the last one. I'm just kidding. I don't really care about Tom Brady. In fact, I probably won't even watch the Super Bowl tomorrow. I'm I uh, yes, I am one of those people who brags about not watching the Super Bowl. And I know there's people out there that hate the kind of people who brag about not watching the Super Bowl. Sorry, but you know what? I don't even watch the Super Bowl. I don't even know who played last year. I don't even have cable. I'm too busy doing peer-reviewed research so that I can make laws to govern the stupid people like you. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Five oh minutes, 50 minutes before I cut it down. Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only podcast on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Once again, this show is dedicated to Aunt Ruth, whose name was Melly Hoya. Go back and scroll through my podcast feed. I uploaded at least one, maybe two podcasts with Aunt Ruth. I wasn't the one conducting the interviews. Other people were. But I got the audio, chopped it all up, put it together, and uploaded it. So if you get a chance to go back and listen. If you can't find it, hit me up, and I'll see if I can't find it for you. But it's in the same, wherever you get this podcast from, it's right there with it. And this is actually the first time that I've publicly dedicated a podcast to anyone. So 
Aunt Ruth number one. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there, be brave, share your opinion, take charge of your own life. Don't be a tattletale. Openly support the people you support. Read a book. Do something nice for your neighbor. And most of all, keep it tranquilo. When you're down, when you're straight, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange. People are strange. When you're a stranger, faces look ugly When you're alone, women seem wicked When you're unwanted, streets are uneven When you're down Strange, when you're strange